0: Satan don't like it when we're uh, praising the Lord. He can't stand it. You know what? He can't stop it either. So let him don't stand it while we don't stop it. We ought to find every kind of way in the world to irritate him. (laughs)
1: Like
0: he does us. And you know the best way to do it is with endless praise. For Jesus, who deserves it, not him who desires it. Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me uh, to the book of Second Corinthians, chapter seven? We're reading uh, the first eight verses of this chapter. I guess if I had to give this uh, message a title, which I have not actually given it one, uh, uh, my Bible, my study Bible, calls it. Uh, joyful in tribulation. if uh, That's one of the things we don't like in tribulation, suffering, pain, anguish. We, we want everything to be easy. Amen. Just go ahead and say amen. amen. We want everything just to be so easy, but as long as there's light and darkness that clash, as long as there's heaven and hell, as long as there's a holy God and a, an a evil devil, it ain't gonna be that way, amen? not gonna be that way. As long as we are broken, as long as the curse that is upon this world exists, there's gonna be tribulation for us all. We can either whine about it, cry about it, moan about it, or we can be joyful in it, Amen? If you want to make the old devil uh, unhappy, just praise the name of Jesus in the midst of the tribulation he's trying to pour out upon you. Amen? He can't understand it. He can't comprehend it. It bewilders him, and it gives us power over him. Amen? Amen. So we need to learn to be joyful in tribulation. There's lots of things that cause tribulation. Let's read the Scriptures. Having therefore these promises. Everybody say these promises. Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive, Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and to live with you. Great is my boldness to speech toward you. Great is my glory of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, Within were fears. Nevertheless, God, that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he he was comforted in you. When he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. For though I make you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Father God, thank you for this word. Clarify it to us, O oh Lord. Help us to understand it. But more importantly, Lord, speak to us and help us to realize, God, there's always going to be problems. There's always going to be trouble but Lord, you are the one who brings us comfort in those times. Show us that in your word today. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. God has made us many wonderful promises and I'm so glad that the scripture that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church here starts off about these promises and it's because of these promises. Let me ask you a question, do you believe and the promises of God? Amen. Do you believe God? Yes. Do you believe His word? Do you believe that what He said He's gonna do? He's gonna do it. Hey, do you believe those things? It would be wise if we all believe those things, because to not believe those things is the lack of faith. And by faith, although we haven't seen all of this. We see it, we read it, we we understand it's coming, and we know that the Lord Himself is going to accomplish these things. These things will come to pass. The Bible says that all of the promises of God are what? They're yea and amen. Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter one, verse 20, in this same text says, for all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him amen. Why? Unto the glory of God by us. Amen? When we see the promises coming to light, we need to glorify the Lord our God. He loves our praise. He loves our worship. He loves it when we see Him and glorify Him and honor Him by telling what everybody else what we've seen Him do. Second Peter 3 and 9, he says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any one of us should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the promises of God concerning us is that he is long-suffering toward us, and he wants to accomplish something in our lives through these promises. That's why it's important that we believe them. It's why it's important that we see them. It's why it's important that we know them so that when they take place in our lives, we can glorify him and honor him in it And because his his will for us is that we recognize him, we come to know him, we call upon his name, we repent to him so that we do not perish and go to hell. Amen? That's God's desire for me and you. That's why we have the Word, that's why we have the church, that's why we have pastors, that's why he fills us with his Holy Spirit, so that we are empowered to accomplish these things in him, not apart from him, in him. Amen? And so we've got to be able to to comprehend these things and know them. If we believe uh, him and because of these promises, let us, he said, look at, at the end of this verse. He said, because you believe these promises, and if you believe these promises, you need to cleanse yourself. Huh? We need to cleanse ourselves. The Bible never tells us any time that the Lord takes us, like we do our little babies, runs us a tub of bathwater, takes off our clothes, puts us in there and takes a wash rag and soap and scrubs us down. The Bible does not teach us that God cleans us that way. (coughs) Amen. The Bible does teach us, however, that when we come to Him because we feel filthy, because we have sinned, when we come to Him and repent. That's the part we really don't like to do. How I many of you like to repent? I don't like it either, but I thank God that I can. Amen. I thank God for the blessing of a thing called repentance because it leads me to a place. You know what place it leads me to? Cleanliness. In Him. Hallelujah. He shed his precious blood that we could be clean anytime. Yeah. All the time. Every time. What a Savior we have. Yes. And he says, if you believe these precious promises, because that's one of them, if you believe these things, you need to cleanse yourself from filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. That means that not only do you need to clean the outer person, You need to claim the inner person, the spirit, amen? Perfecting what? What is the reason we need to cleanse ourselves? Perfecting holiness. Holiness. Now, none of us feel very holy, do we? If we do, usually, and we proclaim it, as self-righteousness. But he says that he wants us to perfect holiness in the fear of God, He wants us to do this. He wants us to to seek uh, uh, cleansing uh, diligently. He wants us to do it with our all of our might. He wants us to try hard in its ongoing process in mind your life. Amen. How many of you realize that? The our call to holiness is something that we have to strive for, It's something that we have to seek after. It's something that we have to to want because we know the promises of God that are yea and amen are going to only come to us if we present ourselves holy to God. Well, it's easy to say, well, uh, as long as Jesus is in me, I'm holy. That's the way we get righteousness because our righteousness are filthy rags. But here, he says He wants us to perfect our holiness ourselves by becoming clean to God. Did you know I tell you all this all the time when we have an altar calls and I tell you if you got sin in your life, come on up here and lay it laid down before Jesus Christ. Let Him cleanse you. Let Him wash you in His blood. And you will get up from that altar clean and holy because you've obeyed Him. Amen. That's the way our holiness comes. We must try hard. It's an ongoing process. But it is very important to work toward the perfection of holiness. Why? Why do you say, do I need to be holy? Well, because of what the Bible tells us. You know what the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, 14? It says, follow peace with all men. So it's important not only that we're holy, But our holiness comes as we have peace. (laughs) With who? All men. That's what he says. Follow peace with all men and holiness, now listen to this, without which we will not see God. Now how important is holiness to you? How important is peace If you? See, Paul is preaching and he's writing to a church that he wrote in 1 Corinthians because they were doing everything in their power to destroy the church that he had built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. They were accepting all sin. They were fighting amongst themselves. They had divided themselves into groups and cliques and cliches of age group, of wealth group, and even of spiritual gifts. They were so arrogant, they were so proud, that they decided to just kick Jesus out of his church and take it over, Paul called it carnality. Paul is talking to these people. He had sent this scalding letter called 1 Corinthians. Read 1 Corinthians. You want to read a scolding letter to a church. Amen? Paul knew that what they were doing was going to destroy the church. What made Paul decide that they were going to destroy the church? Let me, do y'all know anything about this church? Do you know what happened to it? Sister, Sister Shirley, tell us what happened to it. carnality destroyed this church i closed the doors to it because people got to fighting amongst themselves people got to, to be divided people got to say it's going to be my way to the highway if you don't like the way I'm doing this stuff get out of here no we don't want you here because you don't agree with us no we don't want you here because you don't look like us no we don't want you here because you, you say things we don't want to hear and guess what Paul knew something else because, see, Paul had studied. He had studied real hard about God. And he knew the words of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ said that a house divided against itself will not stand. Do you believe the Lord? I believe the Lord, don't you? The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, that righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to who? any people. that means the lost man and the saved man. Sin is a reproach to me and you. Sin is a reproach no matter how full how much of Jesus you claim to have when you sin against God you become a reproach unto God. When a sin when a church sins against God, that church becomes a reproach unto God. We see in our nation today a great division, almost 50-50 split. And you know what's happened to this nation? It's falling apart at the seams. One side says, I'm not yielding. The other side says, neither am I. And guess what? It's just a matter of time before we crumble and fall. You don't believe that? Look what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25. Every kingdom, divided against itself, is brought to desolation. That's what's happening to this country right now. It's being brought to desolation. It's being—it's on the path to destruction, not by Christianity, but by God himself, who's only got so much long-suffering for a nation that acts like this one. Amen, he destroyed this world once for the same reasons. He destroyed cities for the same reasons. Amen. And we can blame other people. We blame Democrats. We blame the politicians. We, but the, uh, the, the, the truth of the matter is, is there's a disease in our society called the curse and the sin and the depravity of mankind. And there's only one solution to that curse and that depravity of mankind. And it ain't a politician, it ain't voting, it ain't a mayor, it ain't a governor, it's Jesus Christ yeah. and He'll crucify. He is the only solution. Yes. And the only answer, and Paul knew that. And Paul was trying when he wrote those letters to so that, that church. And he was telling them, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do He knew those people were going to look at him and say, who does he think he is? (laughs) (laughs) Amen. That's what they wanted to do. The other churches all over this country right now, struggling with carnality. The lack of spirituality. The lack of believing that the word of God is true and absolute, that every promise that He's made is going to come to pass. I've heard that said this week. Well, not all the Bible's true because it's dated.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let me tell you what, if that's true, there ain't one word of it true. That's right. Amen. Amen. Right. If you think you can change it to accommodate yourself, if you think you can change it to accommodate your lifestyle and the will of God in His church, and you can change the church to suit yourself instead of Him, you are dead wrong. All you're going to do is tear it apart and destroy it. That's what Jesus said. Amen? Amen? Oh, it don't stop with just the church. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a house divided against itself? You know what causes divorce? A house divided against itself. Amen. That's what causes it. When it's divided, <laughs> it goes deeper than that. It's even in the family, the man and the woman, when they divide, that's it. It goes to the children. And in the church, we're not allowed to be divided against one another. <laughs> hey, I'm not making this stuff up. Read the scripture. It's true. Amen. Amen. This is what Paul's talking about right here. And he's, he's telling these people, because you need to be holy. You need to get rid of the carnality. You need to get rid of the filth of the, of the flesh and the spirit. You need to get yourself right with God. When you get yourself right with God, something happens, you become holy to God. What? You want to be holy with God? Amen. <laughs> that song she just sung while together. go. He's worthy, worthy, worthy. Because he's holy, holy, holy. Amen. He's our Lord. He's our God. He deserves our obedience to him. He deserves us to love him with all of our heart. Amen. And change ourselves. Not so we can gloat, not to say, whoa, look what a Christian that is. So we can honor him by our obedience to him. That's why we come to church. That's why we study. That's why we pray. That's why we witness. Not to show people who we are, but to show people who he is. Oh, if we could just get that down in our hearts, our minds, our souls, wouldn't we be a much better people? Amen. We would see the holiness that it has, that he has, that works in us. It would have, <laughs> you know, when he addressed the Corinthians, and there's churches like I I've tried to I started to tell you a while ago that are tearing up, they're just breaking apart right now. All up down the road. You got pastors' churches, you got churches that don't even meet anymore. They're just houses, but the people aren't there anymore. Why? Wow. What happened? It got divided and when it got divided it was destroyed we can't make God any less than who he is by that but you know what we can make ourselves way less than who we're supposed to be by that amen that's why we don't have any room to gloat ever our gloating should be for the glory of God and gloat for him amen we need to get along in the church we need to love one another in the church we need to not backbite in the church we don't need to leave the church and go out in this lost world that needs the church so bad to tell them how sorry the church is that you attend Woo! amen you know what you're going to do you're not going to win one soul to Christ you're not going to add one person to those, through those doors Talking that way. You know what they're going to say? Well, what do I want to go there for? You don't like it. What you want me to go there for? <laughs> God helped us to get rid of the filthiness of our flesh and our spirit and make ourselves holy, usable, clean vessels for His glory so that we can be a witness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's already quiet in here. Amen. It would have been real easy for the Corinthians to say, who does he think he is? And a lot of people are doing that in their churches right now. They'll get a preacher up there, and he'll go in there, and he'll start preaching Jesus Christ, him crucified. He'll start preaching 1 Corinthians. You can't do this. You can't do that. you got to live this. And somebody will sit back there with an old arrogant pride for somebody that's been there forever, and they'll say, this is our church. No, they don't even say that. They say, this is my church. We were doing it that way before you got here. And we're going to do it now while you're here. And if you don't like it, we'll just vote next week and run you off. Did y'all know that's happening all up down the highway? Amen? Amen. There's churches that are letting their guards down. They're letting the promises cease. All the promises of God ain't about just us going to heaven. some of the promises of God are promises He makes us when we disobey Him. Mm -hmm. Those are promises too. They're guaranteed, by the way. And there's a lot of churches that are allowing all kinds of perversion into their church and they're not holding anyone accountable (laughs) for it. Y'all, we can't do that. We want them to come, but we don't make want to make them think that God's okay with what they're doing. Any time we do that, we water down sugarcoat the gospel of Jesus Christ Amen. that is meant to be honest, bold, blunt, truthful, so that the man of God, or the, or the person who is, needs to hear it, can hear it and realize I have done wrong. And when you preach it any other way and you tell people it's okay to do what you're doing and God's okay with that Lord help us all you wind up with a godless church filled with godless people who are having a good time getting together and having things their way but you know what I can't go in there and shake my fist or take my belt off or take my gun and run them off. But let me tell you what will happen. If they don't see the truth, they're going to stand before that one that is holy, holy, holy. They're going to stand before you. And what they think ain't going to matter no more. But how they did it, Is going to matter a lot. And he's going to hold them accountable. Some of them he's going to say, I never knew you. And they're going to argue with him. But it's not going to do any good. So Paul writes these people. And in this second letter, something has changed from that first letter. We need to examine this right here. <laughs> Paul wanted these people to know that his goal for writing that first letter of scolding was to bring them to a place of repentance and reconciliation before God. you don't know why I preach bluntly like I do? You know what my goal is? It works for me. It's for you to know what you've got to do. You've got to do. And to know that it's left up to you to do it. And that if you have sin in your life, the only way that sin is going to ever be cleansed is when you come to Jesus and bring it to him. It ain't going to come automatically. He ain't going to run you down and pour his blood on you. He wants you to come to him. That's scripture jesus christ said himself come unto me all you who are burdened and heavy laden and what will he do for you he'll give you some rest amen rest for what rest for your soul that's been tormented by the sin in your life you cannot claim to be a christian and sin without being convicted of that sin you want me to say that again i'm going to y'all write this down You cannot be a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit of God and commit sin and not feel conviction. Is that plain enough? Yeah, we all sin. But when we can sin without conviction, there's a big problem in our lives. Amen. (laughs) Let me move on. Paul did not want to condemn them. He wanted to restore them. He loved them in Christ. And he bore a burden for them. He wanted them to glorify Jesus Christ. He wanted to lead them in that. He wanted to show them how to do that according to Scripture. And he wanted the Spirit of the Lord to overwhelm them, to fill them so that they can obey. That was his goal. That was his purpose. Amen. He wanted them to do that. And so he said, that's why when I wrote that letter, that first letter, I spoke to you boldly in that letter. You needed to hear the truth. Not a watered down version. And you know what? He not only did that, he, he told them who wrote him the letter. Amen. Read First Corinthians. He calls a name. It's a woman's home, family. that sent him a letter. They were concerned with what was going on in the, in the church. He publicized that in his letter to them. Chloe was her name. And he addressed the sins that she told him that was going on in that church. He needed to know. Amen. Not only did he need to know, Chloe was gonna be held accountable because he put her name in the letter. Amen. (laughs) <laughs> he didn't beat around the bush because he knew that sin was a reproach he also knew that division would destroy the church and look at verse 4 he says I am filled with comfort I am exceedingly joyful in all of our tribulation and he gives a reason why Look, you know when Paul wrote these letters, you know why he wrote them. He wrote them because he was in Macedonia. He was having a lot of trouble there. In verse five, he tells us uh, that he said, "For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side, without our fightings, without were fightings and within were fears." He was trying to establish church a church in Macedonia. He didn't have time to come to an already established church and soothe their (coughs) wounded souls. So he wrote this letter. He was struggling himself. It was a hard work that he was doing. He had been called there by God. He went there according to the plan of God, but God didn't tell him how hard it was going to be, but he was finding out. There was much tribulation. There was much sadness. There was much fear that went on every day. The work of the Lord, y'all know what? as divided as this country is, you go out and start proclaiming Jesus and see what happens to you. Every one of you that's on social media, you start proclaiming Jesus when you see what the woke people are talking and you start introducing the name of Jesus and you see what they say to you. Amen? Paul's having a hard time all the time. But you know what? Paul couldn't go. But the Lord was still there. And Titus got to go to the Corinthian church. Now I'm going someplace with this so y'all have to bear with me a minute. Paul couldn't go, but Titus could, and he did. And when he got there, he saw something that made him feel real good. See, they didn't have Instagram, they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have telephone, they didn't have none of that. So, Paul didn't know what was going on until he saw Titus. Titus got there, and you know what had happened to those people in Corinthian, in in Corinth? They had taken Paul's letter, they saw it, and they repented of their sin. And they had become restored back to God. Not all of them, but most of them. And when Titus came to see Paul, and Paul was so distressed in his work in Macedonia, yet he still loved these people. He still wrote to these people. He still yearned for these people. Titus came and told him, amen. Nevertheless, verse 6, Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Jesus Christ in John chapter 14 go home and read John chapter 14 Talks to us about the Holy Ghost you know what he calls the Holy Ghost the Comforter the one that is sent to comfort us in our time of need our time of sorrow the Holy Ghost not only comforts us it convicts us of our sin. He not only convicts us of our sins, He helps us understand the Word. He helps us go to a scripture when we didn't even realize we needed to go there. And He pecked you on the shoulder and He said, I, you need to hear this. He prays for us when we don't know what to pray for. He intercedes for us when we don't know how to do it for ourselves. He is the earnest the down payment that secures us. He is our seal that holds us together for Jesus. And sometimes the Holy Spirit don't just poof like we think. Sometimes another spirit-filled believer, God will send him where you can't go. And he'll bring him to you because you can't go there. And he'll bring you word of encouragement. A word that your prayers have been answered. Word that people have had a revival in a place where you knew they were carnal again. That revival had come. And when Paul heard this from this man, his spirit was lifted up. And he wrote 2 Corinthians to them. He poured out his heart, his soul. He told them how much he loved them. But he knew they needed to hear truth. He told them why he was bold. He told them why he hurt their feelings. He told them why they were mad at him. Because he loved Jesus and he wanted them to love Jesus. And he found all this out by a man named Titus who God had sent there in Paul's stead and had come to Paul to tell Paul, it's okay in Corinth. Don't tell me we don't need a church. Don't tell me we don't need a brother. Don't tell me we don't need a sister. Because sometimes God, through the Holy Ghost, lets a brother or a sister hold you up, pick you up, comfort you, love you, feed you, pray with you, cry with you, laugh with you. Don't believe the lie that I don't need to be a part of a church. Titus is proof of that. Paul said, I am comforted. Because my brother came and told me that the things I feared, God has restored those people back to Himself. Y'all, we need each other. But not just each other. We need Christ. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Comforter. Because see, if Titus hadn't had the Comforter in him, he could have comforted Paul. That's the way God works. That's why there's a church. And that's why there's a promise, listen to me, that goes with His church. You know what that promise is? Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. That's why we gotta keep it His church and not let it become my church. I had a fella that asked me the other day, he said, how's things going at your church? I said, I don't have a church. But the Lord's church at Lake Country is alive. Now we got to keep it that way. Yeah. How? By listening to God. By not letting anything ever tear the sacredness of unity down. To be in one mind. <clears throat> One accord with one mission. Listen to me. One mission is to do the kingdom work of God. And you know what that is? It's a ministry He's given every one of us. I told y'all about this last Sunday and we'll say it again. It's called the Ministry of Reconciliation that is given to every one of us. God in us, reconciling a lost world unto himself. That is our mission. That is the church. That is who we are. And we need to love one another. We need to cling to one another. We need to have fellowship with one another. We need to take all of that open, what so-and-so said about me, and flush it down the toilet and give it back to the devil. And we need to call on the name of the Lord and get over some things and make things right with our brothers and sisters. Why? Because a house divided against itself will not stand. And you say, well, that just one or two, that's all it takes to get the ball rolling. And if it's not handled, there we go. We need to use that Troy philosophy but God, we need to introduce him into our lives to handle all those situations. But God comforted Paul and he used Titus to do it. We need each other. Would you stand? Maybe you're here today i just explained to you the best way I know how about how important it is you be a part of the church. It's time to quit being on the outside looking in. It's time to commit yourself to the work of God. It's time for you to become a part of His church, a part of a group of people, a fellowship of believers that He has drawn you to. Listen to him. He didn't draw you here for no purpose. He drew you here for a reason. And you keep coming for a reason. And that is, he wants you to work here. He wants you to work for him here, with him here. And we need to work together. Because you know what? This nation is falling apart. (laughs) And the work of reconciliation, the ministry that he has given us through the Spirit, is falling way behind. We need to continue to do that. And we can't do that if we're out of his will by being angry with a brother or a sister. It's not about us. It's about him. And Paul glorified God in that horrible work he was involved in where he was afraid, where he was tormented, where he was being persecuted for sharing the gospel. But in the midst of that, comfort came to him through a brother. Amen. Do you know that God? Are you filled with his spirit? Do you know Jesus? These altars are open for prayer. You want to pray, come up here and pray. If you want to repent, repent. If you've got something that gives a brother or a sister in this church, you walk up to them, take them by the hand, and you come pray with them. If you're not strong enough to do that, don't you come whining to me, I don't want to hear it. If you're not godly enough to do that. That's what the scripture says. Comfort one another hang on to one another forgive one another and let him cleanse you maybe you're here today and you're looking for a church home I pray God is going to lead you here and you come if he's leading you to come you come on maybe you just got sin in your life and you know it you know it's there but you haven't done anything about it. These altars are open. For you to come to Him, not to me. I can't forgive you. Only God has that power. Oh, I can forgive you if you are wrong with me. but I can't forgive you for your sin against God. Only He can do that. Would you come? There's some here at the altars already. There needs to be some more. I'm telling you. There needs to be some more. There needs to be some reconciliation with the brothers and sisters in Christ. There needs to be some forgiveness and we need to move on with the work of the Lord. What's the Lord telling you right now? What is on your mind right now? I know some of you are thinking, ain't he ever going to quit talking? Ain't we ever going to get out of here? Don't you hear my belly growling? Listen to your soul. Listen to your spirit. Listen to Jesus Christ, the God of this church. Listen to him. You're here today. Not by accident. Not by coincidence. You're here. So you could hear him today. So he can speak to you today. There's no coincidence with God. When he went to that well that day and his disciples left that place to go to town, he knew there was going to be a woman there. There's no coincidence with God. Everything is planned, known, but the only thing is lacking. It's what will you do about it? Similar to almost over. been here today. I want you to leave with one more scripture. One that means a lot to me. That fits right with this. That Paul also wrote in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 4 verse 8, 9 and 10. Listen to this scripture. We are troubled on every side yet not distressed. We are perplexed. But not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but we're not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ that the life also of jesus might be made manifest in our bodies hallelujah you're dismissed in the fear of the lord take that scripture with you claim to it god bless you all
2: crowd here tonight considering <laughs> some of them have been able to go to other churches, Church of Nazarene tonight for community services. <clears throat> so, Jeff, good to see you here. I don't know if you'd come, but you know Brother Jerry wasn't going to be here. Did about you tell him? it. You that. didn't tell him? <laughs>
1: well?
2: Let's turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Let's see if I can find it here. Now, let's have a word of prayer before we get started. My fathers, we come before your throne of grace once again. We do thank you for your goodness, mercy, your long suffering, trustworthy. We thank you for having you spoken to our hearts many years ago and help us to realize our lost condition and help us to realize who Jesus was, the Son of God. And he lived and died on the cross, shed his blood, and we could be saved by our faith and our trust in him. The Lord, we just ask you to bless this message this evening. Take it and use it for your honor and glory. Bless the services up there wherever your churches are meeting. Forgive us where we fail you. Thank you for each one to come out this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, you're not loud enough. Can you hear me now? Wow, my nose always starts running whenever I get up here. Okay, in Matthew chapter 16. Now, can you hear me? Begin with verse 13. We're going to read verses 13 through 18 and try to look at what Jesus said about His church. Verse 13, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias or Elijah, and others Jeremiah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This statement that Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, if you were here in our services this morning, Brother Gary made the statement that this church is not his. This church is not Gary's church. And that sign out there, and then this sign back here behind me, that says Lake Country Baptist Church, whatever the name may be on the building, that's not what makes the church up. The church is made up of what Simon Peter had to say. And we'll take a look at this thing. In verse 13, Verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am the Son of Man? Now we know that names have meanings to them. And the name of Jesus is no exception. The name of Jesus means Savior. If want to turn back in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus was on this planet. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And uh, to saves time, but down to verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So the name of Jesus means Savior. That's what the name Jesus means. Verse 21. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which, being interpreted, is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So the name Jesus means Savior. So, verse 13, back in chapter 16, when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Field Pai, the name Jesus means Savior. And then uh, he asked them the question, whom do men say that I the Son of Man is? they give him all different kinds of answers well some people say that you're john the baptist some say that you're elijah some say that you're jeremiah then jesus asked him this question verse 15 but whom say ye that i am and simon peter answered and said thou art the christ the son of the living god so and the word christ means anointed So, Jesus Christ is the Anointed One sent by God to be the Savior of the world. Uh, Over in Acts 4, verse 10. If you want to Acts 4, verse 10. Let's see. Yeah, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him that this man stand before you whole. Now it's talking about uh, the lame man that was healed, whenever Peter and John went down to the temple to pray. And then verse eleven, this is the stone, talking about Jesus Christ, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. Which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So it's only by and through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that a person can be saved. And there's not a Baptist way, or a Methodist way, or a Pentecostal way, it's all through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what makes that's what makes Christianity different from false religions and teaching. Christianity is accepting what God has done for us. Religion is mankind trying to reach a holy, holy God. But there's no other way to be saved other than by and through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't ever really know how this how these are going to go. I'm not no good at putting down stuff in order or anything. But in verse 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17, And Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon, for Jonah, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the church is not built upon Peter. The name the Peter means rock alright, but it's a little rock, it's a small pebble. Jesus Christ is a church, is a rock which the Lord Jesus Christ is building His church upon. Let's see. Um, look over in Look over in First John Chapter Two. John chapter 2, begin verse 18. Now, whenever you're here, whenever you're out here in the world and you're talk, trying to talk to people and witness to people about the Lord, some of these denominations, even though they may need, use the name of Jesus, they are not necessarily talking about the Jesus that we believe that was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. All the miracles that He did proved that He was the Son of God. They took Him and crucified Him He shed His blood for the sins of the world. And Paul says, if there comes another unto you preaching another Jesus, let him be accursed. So, in, in these warnings here in the Bible, there are four air of our for our teaching look here in verse 18 1 john 2 verse 18 little children it is the last time and as you as you have heard that antichrist shall come even now are there many antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time they went out from us talking about these antichrist deceivers they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have no function from the Holy One, and ye you know that all things, and ye you know all things. I have not written unto you, because ye you know not the truth, but because ye you know it, and that no lies of the truth. Who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. Remember the name Jesus means Savior, Christ means anointed one. That denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Then look over in um, look over in chapter four, same book. Here it is again. Don't believe everything that you hear. Verse one, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come now let's see if i can find it on first timothy let me read first to you from first timothy first timothy chapter 3 verse 16 But before we read that, let me read your verse first over in the book of John. Book of John, chapter one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the light was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Let's see. Drop on down to verse 11. It's talking about the Lord Jesus. He came unto His own. He came into the nation of Israel. And they said, We'll not have this man reign over us. Take him away. Crucify him. So He came into His own, and His own received Him not, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In verse 14, And the Word, this is talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, Full of grace and truth, so the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. There was a set time in history, in mankind's history, when God had a son, and we read about that over in uh, over in Matthew chapter one a while ago. Look over in uh, look over in Galatians, and then we'll come back to Timothy, which we hadn't read yet. We're in Galatians, verse four. But when the uh, Galatians chapter four, verse four. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So. God Himself took upon Himself a flesh and bone body to be able to die for the sins of mankind. And then now look over in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 3.16. 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, no arguing, no denying it, no getting around it, This is who Jesus Christ is. And without controversy, great is a mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So, Jesus Christ is God, manifested, revealed, made known unto us, and a flesh and bone body. We know that God. the Bible says that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and his truth. So in order for Christ to be a redeemer, he had to become our kinsman. He had to become just like what we are. And he was. He was in all points tempted, tested, and tried, like as we are, and yet without sin. okay back here in matthew verse 16 and simon peter answered and said thou art the christ the son of the living god jesus answered and said unto him blessed art thou simon barjona for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee but my father which is in heaven and i say also unto thee that thou art peter the little rock And upon this rock, talking about Christ himself, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the church, let's see. Look over in Acts chapter one. we get over there to chapter 1 that word acts where it says I will build my church the word church comes from the Greek word and I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce it right the best I understood Google to say how to pronounce it was ecclesia the two letters ek means out of and then the last part of that word ecclesia means to call so the church has been called out. The church is called out. Whenever Moses led the Israelite people out of Egypt, Israel was a church. They were called out. They were being called out of Egypt. And that's what the, the word church simply means, called out. Now, we have uh, here in our church a uh, building and grounds to meet. And I'm not sure how many is on that building and grounds committee, five, seven people. So in a sense, those that are on the building grounds committee, they are a church. They are called out from the rest of the congregation to take care of building and grounds to see what needs to be done. So that word church just simply means to call out. So it says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now ever since, we know if you read your Bible very much, you know that the Old Testament prophets, many of them were persecuted. We know about Daniel. We know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the in the den of lions, being thrown into thrown into the fiery furnace. Daniel and <laughs> the lions did might have made that statement wrong three three hebrew children in the fiery furnace and daniel in the lions den. now is that correct yep <laughs> okay but all through the history of the church it has been persecuted and even today from what i understand the church is still being persecuted and whenever i'm talking whenever i say the church i'm not talking about Okay, here in Atlanta, Texas, Queen City area, we've got what is uh, called the Church of God. We've got what is called Church of Christ. We've got what is called the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. So as I say the word church tonight, I'm not talking about any denominational church. I'm talking about the church that the Lord Jesus Christ said He was going to build and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, over in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Now, there are some people who say that they believe the church was founded on the day of Pentecost. Well, I don't think the church was founded on the day of Pentecost. I think the Lord started His church and started calling them out whenever He started calling the 12 apostles. So He he separated the 12 apostles and He was with them, teaching them a lot of things. Those three, three and a half years before He went to the cross. So in Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 3, this is talking about Jesus. To whom also He showed Himself alive after his passion or suffering, died on the cross, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now these 40 days that he was with them, in and out, he shared with them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And we don't have everything. We don't have everything that was done or said. But here in verse 4, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye he have heard of me. Now that promise that Jesus told them about, that's going to come to the Father, that was the Holy Spirit. You read all about that over in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, a lot of information in those three chapters about the Holy Spirit and it says verse 5 for john truly baptized with water but ye shall be baptized with the holy ghost not many days hence when they when they therefore were come together they asked of him saying lord without this time restore again the kingdom to israel so Benjamin. I don't think this was really an unusual question for them to ask. Because Jesus has been talking to them for 40 days and talking to them pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so they, they ask Him, well, are you ready to set up your kingdom now? And Jesus told them in verse 7, it is not for you to know the time or the season which the Father had put in His own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And then as you get on over into, uh, as you get on over into chapter 2, look over in chapter 2. Chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And then there came sound from heaven, a rushing mighty wind. And uh, in verse 7. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galatians, and now here we ever man in our own tongue, wherein we were born. Then as you read through those, there's about 16 or 17, um, I'd say uh, different languages or dialects or whatever they was. But anyway, everybody did not speak the same language then. And then it goes on through there, verse 13 it was accused that these men are full of new wine. These men are drunk. And Peter said, uh, You men of Judea, being known unto you, and hearken to my words, these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock in the morning. These men are not drunk yet. But this is that. Verse 17. This is that... um, But this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, I will pour out of my flesh, spirit upon all flesh, sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And then as he goes through here, as Peter goes through here, bringing his message to them, uh, he tells them, verse 22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. Then verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. And as, the, as uh, Peter goes through his message, he gets down to verse 32. And Peter tells them, he says, this Jesus, well, he just got through telling us you by your wicked hands, you have taken him, you have crucified, uh, you have crucified the Son of God. And then in verse 32, he says, this Jesus, Hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses? Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Set thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And that is who Jesus Christ is. And this is what the true church of God is based upon. It's, what, it's not the signs on any church door or on any sign out in front of the building But it's what and who they believe who Jesus Christ is. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, when they heard that they had taken and crucified the Son of God, but God didn't leave him in the grave, God raised him from the dead. And whenever they heard that this was what Peter was telling them about, who Jesus Christ really was, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They were convinced, touched in their heart by the Holy Spirit of God. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? If what you're saying is true, if we have taken the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, and we have crucified Him and put Him to death, and you say God's raised Him from the dead, what are we supposed to do about it now? And this is what Peter said. Repent. Repent of the fact and realize who Jesus Christ really is. And you've got to know who Jesus is to be saved, that He is the Son of God. And it it matters where we're going to spend eternity with about what we do or what we believe about Jesus. Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is now look at this, listen to this next verse. For the promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as the many as the Lord our God shall call. And then it talks about many other words that Peter testified and saved unto them. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now we know that the Bible says that salvation is of the Lord. So whenever you see the word save, that's not always talking about saved as far as pertaining to salvation. So Peter says save yourself. Deliver yourself. Come out from other, all these here other unbelievers and realize who Jesus Christ is, and put your trust, your faith in Him. So He says, Save thyself from this untoward generation. Then they that glad received His word were baptized. Same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So, look over in, uh, look over back in Romans. Well, let's look. Let's look over in Acts first. Oh, there in Acts. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 25. Now the question is asked down here in verse 30, What must I do to be saved? This is the only place in the Bible that I know of where the question is asked in plain, simple words. What must I do to be saved? And there is something we have got to do. Verse 25, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. Keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, sprang in, came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? There is something we have got to do if we're going to be saved. And this is the answer. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith, your trust, in Jesus Christ, in Him only.
0: Realizing
2: who He is, what He's done for us. And we can't just go through here and pick and choose what we want to believe about Jesus. Everything that the Word of God tells us about Jesus, we've got to accept it. We don't have a choice of just picking out what we believe about it and discarding other things. So, this question, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So, look back in Romans chapter 10. I got saved when I was about 10 years of age. I didn't know what different denominations believe. Talk, nothing about it. About the only knowledge I had was John 3.16. I'd heard John 3.16. I guess I heard it from my mother. and I I memorized John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And uh, Whatever my mother was real deaf of hearing, I mean, she couldn't even hear me if I was talking to her right now, if she were alive. And uh, whatever church was really close to the house was what I was allowed to go to. And I was going to a church of God, Not 10 years old, probably not farther than here to that trailer manufacturing plant across the road. And uh, I enjoyed Sunday school. Preaching—it didn't mean nothing to me. It put me to sleep, and uh, I've already been dozing sitting on that back pew. Already been dozing, and uh, (laughs) and just like that, snap of a finger, I was wide awake. I mean, I'd heard about heaven. I knew I'd been taught there was a heaven, been taught that it was hell. And uh, the snap of a finger, I was awake and the preacher was preaching about hell. And as he went through his message that morning for the first time, I realized, uh, the Holy Spirit helped me to realize I was lost. And that I would go to hell if I didn't trust Jesus. And like I say, I didn't know what different, but not different, did not nations believe, taught about salvation, went down to the altar, Didn't talk no preachers, under school teacher, no one. I prayed, confessed everything I knew to, right at the last. I said, "Lord, please don't let me die and go to hell." And whenever I said those last few little words, all the, all the burden guilt that I'd ever had was gone. Amen. And I never did doubt my salvation. I never have except one time. I wasn't in church a whole lot more after that. For a while I was, but not a whole lot. Then about 18, I started going to a Baptist church. And every time Baptists would give an invitation. If you never have asked the Lord to save you, come down and ask the Lord to save you. And I heard that so many times that I got to thinking, well, maybe I'm not saved.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I know something happened where if I prayed at the age of ten, I knew my life was changed. Mm-hmm. So over a period of a year, I went down that altar probably ten times or so. And I used the words, God save me. And whenever I did, I got up from there more miserable than before I went down. And what I was doing, and I didn't realize it, was that I was grieving the Holy Spirit, asking Him to save me whenever I was already saved. Anyway, I I did that for about a a year, for about 10 different times. Finally, I made up my mind I'll never go down to that altar again and ask the Lord to save me until I know exactly what these preachers are talking about. So over in Romans, Over in Romans chapter 10, I told the preacher what I'd been going through for about a year there. And I asked him, I said, just exactly what are you talking about when you say, come down and ask the Lord to save you? Ask the Lord to save you. When a person gets saved, he may use those words, Lord, save me. Don't let me die and go to hell or whatever. But salvation is with the heart. It's a change of your heart. Over in Romans chapter ten, verse nine, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of God, and believe and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then verse 17, So in faith, faith to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And I don't know how all that last little bit got brought in there. But anyway, Jesus over in, uh, back here in Matthew, Jesus made the statement, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it." The true church of God, and I'm not talking about any denomination, I'm talking about the church that Jesus said He would build. The true church of God has always been persecuted all through the ages. The Old Testament prophets, many of them were persecuted. They persecuted the Lord. They even crucified him, he died for the sins of the world. All of his apostles, they the church, they persecuted them. All down through the ages, the church has been persecuted. Look over in Hebrews chapter eleven. Hebrews chapter eleven. <laughs>
1: Through chapter eleven, it
2: talks about it talks about faith. Then you go all through here; it tells you about the faith that Abel offered his sacrifice unto God, and it was accepted above that of Cain's. Gets down to Enoch, translated; he should not see death. Then talks about Noah. Abraham, Sarah, and you get on down here to verse 32. It says, "What shall I more? What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions." This is all talking about the early church being persecuted for taking their stand of who they believe Jesus Christ to be. Uh, verse 34, Quench the violence of fire been burned at the stake, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, lacked failure in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens Women received their dead. We know both in the Old and the New Testament, people being raised from the dead. Um, Women received their dead raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. Listen to verse 37, they were stoned. We know about the stoning of Stephen. And we don't have time to go there now. Anyway, they were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were cut in two. were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. As I understand it, you get an animal skin wet, it'll stretch. And as these animal skins being wet and put on a person the person being sewed up in those animal skins and then been sent out into the desert hot climate, and it wouldn't take long in the heat of the days like what we are having right around here now for those animal skins all the moisture to be sapped out of those animal skins and as those skins lose their moisture they start getting tighter and tighter around you suffocating. This season, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world's not worthy, they wandered in deserts, mountains, dens, and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should be made perfect. So, You know, over in Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty-eight and twenty-nine, I'll read it. Acts twenty. Verse twenty-eight. It says, Take therefore, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood. The church of the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ was obtained by Him shedding His blood. Then Paul says in verse 29, For I know this, that after my departing, after me leaving you, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So Paul knew that even back there in his day and time that there would be false teachers in the church, those who come in. And Satan has always done his best to try to wreck the church and destroy it. And it's still going on today. Brother Gary talked about how many churches up and down these roads have split through the years. Many, many of them without preachers, without pastors now. So, you know, sometimes sometimes we sing songs that is not exactly 100% scriptural. And... One of the songs I can't even think of the name of right now. About I intend to make heaven my own some way, somehow, or another. I'm going to go there. The only way we're going to make heaven our home is not some way, somehow. It's only through the Lord Jesus Christ. I was debating whether I, whether to read a poem or not. Go ahead. Let me see those. Anybody want to copy this poem that I'm going to read right quick that's me a few words, those one point the title of this poem is the church and uh, the Lord's Church down through the years down through the ages has had a lot of different names and like I said, it's not the name that's behind me. Lake Country Baptist Church. Or it's not the name of it that's over any doors of a church that makes it a New Testament church that the Lord said He would build. It is what is preached and proclaimed from the pulpit about who Jesus Christ really is. Now, I'm going to read this poem. If you've got two pages to your point. You had to start at the back of the second page first, to start off with. <laughs> now I'm not saying, I'm not saying every single thing in here is scriptural. He gives, he has references to the side of it, but you're invited to take a look at it and see for yourself. But I do know this one thing. The true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not no Protestant church. It didn't come out of nothing. Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So, when Adam's whole apostate race lay helpless and undone, God promised them salvation through the merits of his son. The Godhead had devised the plan to set the sinner free the son dream, he would die, the sacrifice to be. The covenant of redemption was the surety they were given that all who put their trust in him should find a home in heaven. When something like 4,000 years, their weary course had run, God sent the Baptist to proclaim the advent of his son. That's not talking about no Baptist church. That's John the Baptist. When John, his mission, had fulfilled, and all Judea had heard, a people was made ready for the coming of the Lord. Then Jesus came and was baptized of John in Jordan's flood, and thus fulfilled all righteousness. So says the Son of God. He called his chosen from among those whom John had baptized unto the mountaintop where he his church then organized. When God had set the members in, the apostles were the first, then prophets second, teachers third, for all had been immersed. He gave his supper to his bride to keep till his return, when at the table of the Lord his body to discern, The great commission soon was given to those thus organized. He sent them out into the world to preach and to baptize. We see them in an upper room, it being their conference day, and having business to transact, they all knelt down to pray. Soon after prayer, the votes were cast and ratified in heaven. Matthias received the bishopric and was numbered with 11. We see the church with one accord, assembled in one place, endued with power of other tongues to preach to all the race. In matters touching fellowship, to the laws of Christ they yield. And when a member's discipline, there is no higher appeal. Now, from here on out, I'm not saying that the Baptists are the only ones. There's a lot of denominations. There's several different denominations besides Baptists that believe that salvation is by grace in Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is. Okay. The 12 were gospel preachers true, and Baptists, we might say, because they preached the doctrines then that Baptists preach today. They preached imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ to save, that all who put their trust in Him eternal life should have. God does not give eternal life for that which we have done, but through imputed righteousness, this life is in His Son. Tis true, those who maintain good works, He surely will reward but that is not eternal life, salvations of the Lord. If this life is eternal life, the purchase price all paid, the child of God could not be lost since God the covenant made. This church, talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, this church has stood since organized, but Jesus Christ its head, and it shall stand forevermore. So God the Father said, Go oh, search the records of all sects. With me you must agree. There's none, there's none but Baptists that can prove their faith since 33. Please read each scripture on the right and make a careful search and be convinced by scripture proof this is the Baptist Church. Now, like I said, that name, Baptist. It's not going to save you. right. No church is going to save you. No denomination, nothing. It's only through Jesus Christ. And whatever the Lord's church has been called through the ages, it's still in existence. It's still going forth. And whenever, whenever we come here about five years ago, I had to remind myself Lord, you said that you were going to build your church and that the gates would not prevail against it. And I know there's going to be other churches closer to me where I live than driving 25 miles from Texarkana. And we come to this church here probably about six months before we ever joined. And I still believe we've been led here by the Lord. But salvation is not in no denomination. baptist Methodist, Pentecostal, whatever. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do pray, which hopefully that every single person here has been saved by and through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother James, will you lead us in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed, please.
0: Father God, we thank you for the message we've heard tonight, dear Lord. Just pray, Lord, that we just take it to heart and and that uh, it soak in there, Lord. Just uh, thank you for saying I'm Lord, to uh, stepping up here tonight to uh, take to uh, take Brother Gary's place as he's absent there tonight, dear Lord. Just be with us as we go through this week. Be with the sick and the he be on comfort them the way the only you can do. Watch over keep us safe. These things we ask in your name. Amen.
2: Amen. Appreciate each one of you coming out. The Lord bless you.